We got just about a week to live. You know, it's so hard for us to imagine life in those terms. Near the end of life, even as a mature adult, the body is breaking down, you're weaker, and you are forced, no matter how self-sufficient you have lived your life, you are forced to depend on others. Now, I remember probably about a month and a half before Dad passed away, at this point the, the cancer tumors were huge. And you know, when, when Dad got sick, you start and it's like, okay, eat healthy, be nutritious, and da-da-da-da. Near the end of it, the doctors and nurses are like, let him eat whatever he wants because at this point all you're doing is feeding the cancer. So let him eat what he wants. Well, my dad likes sweets. The apple doesn't far very, fall very far from the tree. It's like, uh, yeah, I inherited that love. But I remember one night uh, at the hospice facility and, you know, dinner would come and, the, and they had a good chef that would prepare all the meals. But I, I can tell you, about the only part of dinner that my dad really cared about is dessert. And uh, they made homemade pies. And what he liked was homemade cream pie, either banana cream or chocolate cream. Now, that's, that's what he liked. That's what he loved. And I, I remember one night, and, uh, you know, near the end of Dad's life, he didn't quite have a filter on some of the things he said. And, you know, the nurse brings his meal, and he, and he looks at the pie, and he goes, oh, gosh. She goes, what's wrong? And he goes, well, I didn't want cherry pie. I said, well, what did you want? He goes, well, I was kind of hoping for chocolate cream pie. He's like, well, we don't have any chocolate cream pie. That was all gone yesterday. Yeah. So, yeah. so the nurse leaves. And he looks and he goes, I really wanted chocolate pie. So I thought, well, there's nothing stopping me from going and getting chocolate pie. So I got in the car, and I started driving around to Tumwa, Iowa. You know, and it's not quite the same as Santa Clarita. <laughs> so you're like, okay, what? You know, so, okay, the biggest grocery store. Do you have chocolate cream pie? Well, we sold out this morning. Okay, where else? You know, so Google. Pie, Atumwa, Iowa, and they get a specialty pie store. So I call. Do you have chocolate cream pie? And they're like, well, we can make you one. I'm like, well, how long will it take? Well, our baker's gone for the day, so you'd have to pick it up in the morning. I go, that's not, gonna, that's not good enough. Thank you for being willing, but no. I have a serious need right now <laughs> for chocolate cream pie. So then the grocery store that's farther away, I call them, and they go, well, we think we do. And I said, well, is there any way that you could find out for sure so it could go from think we do to know we do? 
okay, you know. So they they come back a few minutes later. We have one left. I go, please put it in a box with my name on it. I'll be there in five minutes. So drive across town, get this chocolate cream pie. And I didn't tell mom I was going. So I came back, and mom's like, where have you been? And I go, well, I was getting dad a treat. And I brought this chocolate cream pie in, and dad just got this big grin on his face. Then <laughs> he goes, oh, yeah, chocolate cream pie. He goes, I didn't want cherry. <laughs> and it was such a joy watching him eat the chocolate cream pie. And he macked down most of that in about two days. And it was a big, dense pie. But it just it made me happy to be able to do something for my dad. Because, you know, I was thinking as I was driving to go and buy this pie, I go, how many times as a kid was I begging dad for, yeah, but can we get ice cream? Yeah, but I don't want, you know, I don't want that. I want this. Can we go and get this? You know, and I would really be appealing, please help me out, Dad. I don't want that. I really would like this. And it was such a cool time to be able to bond over a chocolate cream pie. I thought, here's my dad, 79 years old, saying, I really want chocolate cream pie. I can tell you what, my dad was not the kind that would ever... Like, I don't care if he had the lousiest menu in a restaurant. He would eat it, and he would never send it back. He would never complain. They didn't cook his steak right. He would never send it back. Everything was fine. So he, he would never ask for anything. But I thought, what a moment in time. He's near the end of his life, and he wasn't afraid to say, I want chocolate cream pie. And I was fired up to track down what he wanted. You know, at the end of, end, end of your life, it's a humbling time. You have to ask people to do things that you never would ask in a million years. And life forces you into a position where you have no choice. You know, God wants us to learn this lesson earlier than at the end of life. And I think about a passage, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul is talking about his life and he's talking about some of the amazing things that he's been able to witness and how God has used him. And in 2 Corinthians 12, then he gets to verse 7, and Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and hardships, in persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And Paul says, you know, he's talking about how amazing 
his spiritual life has been. And then he said, but then God intervened. And he purposely gave me this messenger of Satan, this thorn in my flesh to torment me. And I said, please take it away. And he said, no. My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, hey, you know, okay, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And Paul learned a very valuable lesson through that, that when we're weak, when we're humble, when we rely on God, then the power of Christ is unleashed in your life. I want you to think about if you had a motorcycle and you were trying to get across town and how it would be if you weren't allowed to use the engine but you just had to push it across town. You would think, wow, you know, that's really not the point of the motorcycle. It's got an engine. It sure would be nice to take advantage of the engine. And instead, there's all this resistance. There's this weight. You go up a hill. Instead of turning on the throttle, it's heavy and it's hard. And God says, exactly. He says, when you live your life self-reliant and proud... You are pushing your life uphill. You have failed to take advantage of the engine and the throttle that is available for you. But nobody likes to be weak. Humility is not a prized virtue in our society. Society talks about being proud, being strong, and being self-sufficient. That way nobody can hurt you. And yet, God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Because we talk today about learning humbly. Let's not wait to the end of our life. Be forced to a position where we rely on God, we rely on others. We can get there now. You say, what's it going to take? We're going to talk about two things today. Number one, we're going to talk about learning from our losses. And number two, surrendering to God. Learning from our losses. So we all fall short. We get in a situation and we think we got this. And somebody says, hey, do you need help? No, thanks. I got this. And we fail. I remember uh, one of those times in my life. It was the beginning of a bike ride with one of my uh, riding crew, Norm Nicholas. And Norm had this bike pump, and it wasn't working quite right. And I said, Norm, here, let me have it. And he goes, no, no, that's okay. It works good enough. I got the tire, you know, pumped up pretty good. And I'm like, no, 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 here. I know how to work these things. Just let me have the pump. I was like, okay, here, fine. Well, I took the thing apart, and it wasn't the design that I thought it was. So I opened it up, and there were like ten little parts that fell out. So now I've got the pump and the cap in ten little parts. Like, um, okay, I think I can get this back together. 
So I tried to put it back together, got the cap on, pump didn't work at all. I broke it. So I'm looking at Norm. He's giving me the face. I said, um, sorry, Norm. <laughs> Saved me at that moment as I had provided him with inner tubes and uh, compressed air for a few flat tires on rides previous, so he was very merciful. And he goes, let's just ride. And so we rode, and I go, Norm, I'm really sorry. Do you forgive me? I'll, I'll fix it. I'll get figured out. And he goes, it's okay. Just ride. So I got home, and I started researching. <laughs> and I found the manual online. So I downloaded the PDF. This, this pump was like 15 years old. So it, it was the Lord that gave me the manual. He's like, all right, you've suffered enough. Here's the PDF. I emailed it to Norm, and he was able to get it back together. And so we laugh about it now. But I thought, I felt so stupid. You know why? Because I was so confident. I'm like, I'm mechanically minded. I mean, what's the big deal? It's an air pump. There's a pump and a few fittings on the end of it. How hard can this thing be? And I was so confident I was going to be the hero and save the day. And then I had all these little pieces. You know, you had any situations like that in your life? You're living life. You're so confident. Hey, thanks. Got this. And about 10 minutes later, you got pieces of life, air pump, computer, electronics, who knows what. But what do you do at that moment? Do you learn from it? You know, I had a choice. I could have said, Norm, that is the cheesiest pump I have ever seen. I just did you a favor. Because <laughs> now you can upgrade. I could have said, well, you shouldn't have let me use it. If you didn't want to risk it, you shouldn't have let me had the pump. So I went home and I, I Googled and found, through the Lord, the PDF manual. Go to Luke 22. I want to read about Peter. You know, Peter, near the end of Jesus' life, Jesus had a long talk with his disciples, and Jesus is trying to tell them, hey, it's going to get rough. It's going to be bad. And in Luke 22, Jesus tells Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, he even used his name twice. That should have been enough for, for Peter, Simon Peter to go, wow, okay, Jesus even said my name twice. I really ought to be humble. I ought to pay attention to what's coming my way. He says, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. 
What's Peter's response? Lord, thanks, got this. I'm ready to go to, with you to prison and to death. I got this. Hey, I appreciate your concern, Jesus. Appreciate you wanting to help me. Appreciate you wanting to insert yourself into my life. Hey, I'm doing fine. I, 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 I don't need that. A little bit later, verse 60. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter was so confident. I got this. I don't need the help. I don't need the Bible. I don't need church. Hey, it's encouraging to be here, but I don't need that. Jesus, spend your concern somewhere else. Maybe help the other 11. They, they probably need it. I'm doing fine. And just a few hours later, he's denying him three times. And one of the most gripping passages says, The rooster crowed, then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. What did that moment feel like? What was going through Peter's heart? says he went outside and wept bitterly. You know, Peter had a choice in his life. He could take responsibility for his failure and he could move forward. Or he could blame. He could get defensive. Jesus, you should have had a better talk with me. You weren't thorough enough. You should have showed me more. You, you should have been stronger. You should have rebuked me harder. He could have blamed his buddies. Hey, you guys weren't there for me. I'm getting accused, and I had no support. He had a choice. You know what's amazing is a, a truth in God's word. Go over to uh, Proverbs 28. That, that deals with our failures. Deals with our sins. Deals with our regrets. Verse 13, Proverbs 28. It says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You know what the passage says? Okay, you have failures in your life. You've got sin in your life. You have let people down. You have hurt them. So you've got a choice. You can carry around the burden and the baggage your entire life. Say, so, well, how do we do that? By concealing it, by blaming others, by being a victim. 
Or we can be open. The word confession, it means to go with. It means you're acknowledging the offense. You're saying, yes, what I did was wrong. It was sinful and it was not. It was wrong and sinful because you did this to me. That's not owning anything. It says, you do that, what do you find? Mercy. Say, so, yeah, but if I, if I open up about my sin, I feel like a loser. I feel worthless. I feel like a failure. No, you're only a failure if you quit. But the process of being open and being honest about what's going on in your life is actually what brings mercy into the equation. And you can't have the mercy by being a victim. And you can't have the mercy by hiding our sin. Say, so this is the truth of God's word. So I don't want to talk about how I messed up. I, I, I'm afraid of what people are going to think. Well, it's going to come down to how much you want mercy, how much you want to let go. We must. Learn from our losses. You know, another side of that is letting go of your guilt. Repentance is not living with guilt. Now, guilt is a good teacher. When we sin, we should feel guilty because we sinned. On the other hand, once we repent of our sin... It should be gone. And sometimes we have a hard time letting go of guilt. And in, in Mark 16, you don't need to turn there, but after Jesus has resurrected from the dead, he, he tells the women, he says, go tell the disciples and tell Peter to meet me. You know, I think that was like a little extra touch because he had saw Peter deny him. He had saw Peter go and weep bitterly. And he knew Peter was carrying a lot of guilt over what he'd done. And he goes, hey, you let Peter know I believe in him. You let Peter know I want him there too. Is that what we'd think? We'd go, oh, no, Jesus would not want to see me because I denied him. He's mad at me. He wants to see everybody but me. That's why Jesus said, oh, you let his disciples know, but you make sure that you tell Peter too. Because Jesus didn't want him living with guilt. He wanted repentance. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all let people down. We've all disappointed people. The question this morning is, have you learned from your losses? Are you living a mercy-filled lifestyle say if not get open confess because you, you'll find mercy you can get rid of the baggage in your heart a victim won't go there you know sometimes you just got to humble out and download the pdf But when you break somebody's air pump, it's the right thing to do. You know, we got much bigger consequences than air pumps.
in our life. But do we have roadblocks in our life from learning from our losses? We do not live in a society that tells you to take responsibility. We live in a society that blames everyone and everything. So we grow up, and that's what society tells us. Nothing is our fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's how we were raised. It's where we grew up. It was this person was mean to us and this. And I'm not saying that there's not legitimate factors that, that change our thinking and how we view stuff. On the other hand, you can absolutely choose how to respond to those circumstances. And you will never find mercy by blaming other people. That's what the Bible says. So we got roadblocks. Get open. Admit your failures and then move on guilt-free. Learn from our losses. Second thing is to surrender to God. You know, ultimate humility should be easy with God. I mean, it really should be. He knows everything. He created the universe. I mean, how hard is it to be humble before that? And yet, I still wrestle with it. Yeah, I remember a, a situation where, where I was humbled just by the environment. I went to grad school in chemistry. I was at the University of Toronto. And uh, the professor that I worked for won the Nobel Prize in chemistry in 1986. And so I'm up there, and he had a really great group of about 35 uh, graduate and postdoc students and, you know, a really good think tank. And I remember one of our group meetings, which we had on Mondays, and we had been working through this, this kind of whole new direction for research. And I'd only been in the lab for about six months. Uh, some of the other scientists had been there for, you know, up to five years. And so you have this culmination of all this research and conclusions, and, and it's kind of crescendoing to this really exciting new direction. And as we're having this discussion, Dr. Polanyi, he's silent through the whole thing, and all us grad students are just really fired up. And we're kind of feeling like, man, we have achieved something here. I mean, look, look, I mean, we've got a whole new direction to go. This is amazing. And, da -da 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 -da. and we get done, and we look at Dr. Polanyi, and he goes, I'll be right back. So we're all kind of sitting there, and he comes back, and he's got a little cocktail napkin. And he goes, you know, as you guys were talking, it reminded me of something. And he goes, like 15 years ago, I was going to um, Israel to speak at a conference, and I had a thought, and I wrote, and the only thing I had was um, the little napkin that they put your drink on. And he goes, so I kind of wrote out a few equations and stuff. I borrowed a pen from the person I was sitting next to and wrote it out. I kid you not. It was exactly the big conclusions that we had just come to. <laughs> On a cocktail napkin. Fifteen years ago. It's just a little thought he had. <laughs> and I remember just kind of leaving that, that group going, 
What a gifted mind. Oh, wow. It, it, I mean, it is a real treat to sit at his feet. But I just thought, wow. You know, I kind of felt like I'm a pretty smart guy. You know, here I am. And then, you know, you're just sitting there and the situation unfolds and we're all working together, feeling like we've accomplished. And, and, and yeah, yeah, I scribbled that on a cocktail napkin 15 years ago. Hey. Now, he wasn't condescending at all. But I thought, wow, how humbling. And you know, life can do that to us. We try all our different ways. And then God says, why do you let me help? And then we go, wow. God's like, yeah, you know, I, I scribbled down that thought. Before creation on a little napkin. Yeah, then Jesus comes in Luke chapter 9. He's got large crowds following him. People are excited about the opportunity they have. And the plan that God has for their life. And Jesus says just this bonehead thing to the crowd. He says, verse 23, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, now what kind of sermon is that? I mean, I'm trying to get people to want to come back. And Jesus is saying, if, you, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. That's the exact opposite of what the world says. The world says, no, you need to fulfill yourself. You need to live for yourself. You need to cater for yourself. You need to schedule time for yourself. And God's saying, hey, you want to do it my way? Deny yourself. And right then and there, you're like, um, not so much. Whose way am I going to go with? What am I going to surrender to? My way or God's way? It takes surrender. Psalm 119. Phenomenal psalm about the word of God. But I want to read just, just one verse in it. Psalm 119. Verse 32. He says, I run in the path of your commands. For you have set my heart free. You see, God's path sets us free. The world's path makes us a prisoner. You say, who... Will you surrender to? Well, if we learn humbly, we go, well, I'm, I'm going to do it God's way. This doesn't seem to make any sense. It seems to be the exact opposite of what I was taught growing up. But you know what? I'm going to trust God. He made me. He created me. He knows how life works best. You see, and therein lies the key word, trust. 
it boils down to a trust in God. And how I figure it is, if you don't trust God, you don't know him well enough. I mean, we don't want to trust a stranger with our life. But the problem's not with God, it's our lack of knowledge of God. Because the more we know him, the easier he is to trust. I mean, from a logic point of view, there really is no reason to trust ourselves. Like, we're the ones that made a mess out of a lot of things in our life. What makes us think we have the knowledge to get us to a different place? So why, why fight? Well, because it requires trust. It means I will put the decision-making parameters in your hands. You say, but I may get hurt. Yeah? Yeah. You may. But God is always with you. God is moving and working in your life to bring you to a new and different place. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will always provide a way out. God is not trying to promise us trouble-free life, but he's trying to mold us into the character and life of his son. Say, will you surrender? You know, surrender is complete and total. And I put before you, you will surrender to something. Life will either put you flat on your face or you will fall to your knees. You will surrender to life or you will surrender to God. You say, well, I'm doing fine right now. Give it time. You know, in Luke 20, Jesus says, you will either fall on the rock and be broken, or the rock will fall on you and you will be crushed. You see, the difference is who's doing the falling, who's doing the humbling. When we fall on the rock, when we surrender to God, when we humble ourselves, we're broken. But if we fight it and say no, then the rock does some squishing and crushing. And life gets really hard. God gives each one of us the call to become great, but we will hit that wall, the wall that says, I don't feel like doing what you want me to do. Everything that matters, you're going to hit that wall at some point. And then there will be the fall. Where you realize, I can't do this on my own. And you either fall on your knees or you will fall on your face. Let's learn with humility. What's God looking for? Repentance. He wants to change. He wants us to run in his paths. He knows what's best. Not what's easiest, but what's best. There's a difference. When life gets difficult, sometimes we're just trying to find the easy way out. But there can be some serious challenges with the easy way out. We got only a week to live. 
life will humble us. I remember those last times with dad. I remember serving dad in ways I never thought I would, never thought I'd have to. You know, when you're at the end of your life, you don't have a choice. Right now, you have a choice. You have a decision. So are, are you fighting? Are you fighting your losses? Just take responsibility. Learn from them. And let go of the guilt. And then surrender to God. We can't have it both ways. We're going to surrender to either life or to God. Let's choose God. Let's look to Him in His Word. Let's let it guide our steps. If you're visiting with us, I want to encourage you, get in a Bible study with somebody who brought you and say, teach me what the Bible says for my life. I want to obey it. What does it say? I need to know. If you're carrying around burdens of sins, mistakes, and sorrows, get open. Get help. Confess your sin. Find the mercy. Don't carry around the baggage anymore. Remember the motorcycle? That's your life. God wants us to use the engine. We go up a hill. He says, hey, just use the throttle. It's a whole lot easier than, than pushing it with the engine on. Paul says, that's where the power of Christ is found. When we are weak, then we are strong. Let's learn humbly. Let's run the path of God, for he will set our hearts free. Let's keep these in mind as we live out one month to live. Let's stand as we close in a final song.